Welcome to Elevated Voices Podcast, where we value using our voice collectively to explore life challenges, including mental health, addiction, trauma, and ways to heal. With our voice, we empower, encourage, and transform lives. I'm your host, Daishika Bibbs, a certified trauma-focused therapist, licensed clinical social worker, and licensed certified addiction specialist. As you listen, ask questions, and enjoy the show, remember, this podcast is not a substitute for a therapeutic relationship with a licensed mental health professional. As we embark on this journey together, let's elevate our voice to echo the sound for the voiceless. Today's guest is a survivor who experienced more than a decade of human sex trafficking in Hawaii, Minneapolis, and Las Vegas. She has faced various adversities, such as complex post-traumatic stress disorder, domestic violence, sexual abuse, cancer, drug addiction, abortions, miscarriages, pornography, anorexia, and bulimia. She fully understands the traumatic psychological, physiological, and emotional effects of initially choosing the sex industry as a job choice, only later to find herself trapped, beaten, and sold to the sex trafficker's highest bidder. After a serious drug overdose, she began her personal journey of healing. She is now known as an international recognized expert and advocate of ministry to men and women in the commercial sex industry. She has been featured on many national and international broadcast radio programs and major news publications like The Dr. Oz Show. Fox News Network, 2020, The Tyra Banks Show, Joyce Myers Enjoying Everyday Life, LA Times, and The Penthouse, just to name a few. She is currently on the Las Vegas Metropolitan Nevada Trafficking Task Force for Victims Advocacy, as well as their Education and Outreach Committee. She is the proud owner of her book, Fallen as well as the founder for her non-for-profit organization, Hookers for Jesus. Elevated Voices Podcast would like to give a heartfelt welcome to Annie Lobear. Welcome, Annie. How are you today? I'm doing really good. How are you today? I'm doing well. Thank you, Annie, so much for being a part of my show. I am so honored and pleased that you're here. Woohoo, girl, we're going to rock it today. <laughs> yes, yes. So Hookers for Jesus, how much controversy do you get behind naming your organization Hookers for Jesus? Does our name Hookers for Jesus get controversy? Oh boy. Oh girl. Oh everybody. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) The name itself is really not what people think. Now, the reason why I named it Hookers for Jesus is when I was driving down I think it was Durango drive one day. I was just leaving church. And yes, it was after I got out of the industry and it was about 2004, 2005 ish. And I just thought, you know, Annie Lobert would be such a common name 
or too specific. And I really wanted to reach the ladies. So I literally heard a small voice in my heart and in my head say, you're my hooker for Jesus. And I was like, what? <laughs> Wait a second. And then, and then like that, that scripture, like I had just read Matthew. I was reading the first 10 chapters of Matthew. And in Matthew 419, Jesus had approached the disciples that were fishing in the Sea of Galilee, the first four disciples. And he said to them, come follow me and I will teach you how to fish for people. So that's Matthew 419. And that's what like, it got me. Right. I was like, hold on, hold on. Dragnet, fish hook. Hold on. This is this is actually a good name, hookers for Jesus. So when people people should not really, I understand getting it twisted in the beginning and getting really offended, but we need to just lay our swords down, lay our tongues down, and just listen and understand the story behind names. Right. I mean, I know there's a lot of companies that use controversial names, and actually there's always a story behind it, usually, right? Definitely. So that's why the name hookers for Jesus really resonated in my heart, in my spirit. And I actually was very excited to share it with the world. And of course it brought a lot of controversy. It still does. And we've been attacked and ridiculed. We've been, you know, cancel culture, we've been shamed, but, and I think a lot of the times it's, it's because hooker is with Jesus. And so it's like, you can't do that. You know, like yeah. you can't do, you know, but the other thing is, is that there's certain algorithms on certain search engines that are attacking our website with porn. Like I've never seen. Okay. So we're actually going to be shifting. We're still going to keep our name to another name that we use. And I don't want to really share that right now, but we're excited about that. But we're still going to have our outreach hookers for Jesus. We're still going to technically be hookers for Jesus. So yes, it's actually really, really been an attack on, I believe, Christianity and being outspoken about trafficking. And also to me personally, if you're offended with the name hooker, and even if it is the connotation of prostitution, sex work, you know, and I don't like, I say that lightly because a lot of people believe, and I do as well, that sex work isn't really sex work. It's, it's paid rape. That's my personal opinion. It's exploitation. It's, it's, it's demeaning towards anyone that's being sold. It's slavery. It's just the most awful. It's a $150 billion industry a year. And that's just a low estimate from several years ago. So it's probably grown by now, especially since we've had this weird pandemic thing going on the past year and a half. So all that to say, you know, the name hooker, it offends some people. They're like, I'm offended. It does. It's like, dude, calm, calm down. Because listen, that means you're offended with people that are being sold for sex. Don't be offended by them. They're, they're humans just like you and me. They have hearts, they bleed, they cry. You know, they have heartaches. And so we need to have compassion and love and understanding and acceptance and grace and mercy for people that everyone thinks that just should honestly... You know, and we have this you know, weird, like even church mindset. Oh, they really like what they're doing. They like it, you know, or people's just general mindset of the, this religious philosophy. And I, and I mean that without religion, by the way, because religious can be without religion. Religious is any ritual that you keep doing over and over. So if society keeps thinking that people are trash because they're hoes or sluts, that is absolutely false. They are not trash. They are feeling human beings. I mean, they have a heartbeat. They have the same color blood we do. And 
they have families, they have jobs. It's just like, we need to embrace them as much as we can to help them because a lot of them are being exploited. And that's the part that we come into with Hookers for Jesus to address the exploitation piece of all of the sex industry, which is almost every single piece, <laughs> right? <laughs> right. Also with your organization, you have this phenomenal component called Destiny House. What is that all about? So Destiny House was something that I actually started in the idea of it anyway, was birthed in my heart in like 2005, you know, but it actually came to fruition in 2007, the planning of it, because I was taking ladies that I met on the strip, we would do something called Saturday Night Love on the strip. And that was just gift bags. We would give like candles and sometimes perfume, things to wash your face with, makeup, whatever, like I liked. Like we weren't like giving them things to insult them in other words. Cause a lot of people, well, that's insulting. Why would you give them? You know, people love like perfumes and bath salts and, you know, candles when you're trying to chill, relax, uh, chocolates on Valentine's day, you know, yeah. chocolates during Christmas, stuff yeah. like that. So we put that in the bags and then obviously uh, we would give out Bibles and I love doing that little miniature ones. Not to condemn, it, it, I would highlight scriptures in there that would uplift the the ladies that were being trafficked or pay, the ladies that were in it and they didn't know they were being trafficked. And then just like a little contact card saying, hey, if you ever need resources, give us a call. Right. So Destiny House was something that had to be birthed because listen, a lot of the ladies that I was helping and doing direct services with. And I, when I say direct services, I mean in their life on a daily basis, getting them to court, taking them to uh, get their kids to the babysitter or, you know, making sure that they make it to their new job once they get out of the industry. Uh, just like anything to do with any type of social work help, uh, getting them signed up for welfare to get food stamps, uh, you know, helping them get their credit cleaned up, getting their down payment for maybe like their new apartment that they're getting into. But most of the time they were homeless after they left their traffickers, they had nowhere to go. So I started to do something that was probably not very ethical. I started bringing them into my own house. And at the time I had roommates, they at first were like, okay, but then I brought all these random strangers home. They could sleep on the couch or the, I had like spare little blow up beds or whatever for the living room. Mm -hmm. But that just did not uh, make them too happy because they, I mean, they had a full house of kids. I was living with my friends from Bulgaria okay. that we actually helped get in the country and they got legalized as citizens. So it was really cool. It took 10 years, by the way. Oh, wow. And I was like, that house was really small. And so I had to move out and get my own place. And honestly, like to have a place for women to heal, that's how Destiny House was birthed. So it's a place where women can dream again, get rid of their nightmares, discover who they are, discover what their purpose is, develop into those purposes, and then finally live out the perfect destiny that God originally planned for them. It, it is a faith-based organization. And so we definitely go off my past geome of, you know, realizing, hey, if I didn't have a creator, I don't think God could ever heal me. This is the truth. 
when you don't have that faith aspect for me personally, and I don't force this journey on any of the ladies we work with, by the way, okay, because we, we let them choose the journey that they want to go on. And if they want to choose the faith track, that's what they're going to choose in our program. So that's my personal freedom that I actually experienced. I mean, I literally like thought I would never get rid of, I had like PTSD, complex trauma, just major anxiety, like a panic attacks, girl. I would literally be stopping my car in the middle of traffic because I couldn't drive because I was like panicking for no reason. But see, that's you, I have to take back that no reason because at the time I had no idea why I was feeling like this. Right. I was like, oh, maybe my heart's tripping out. No, no, no. My anxiety level and my nervous system was so triggered by trying to just relax and be normal again after I got out of the industry that it was getting triggered just automatically without me thinking of anything. Like yeah. it's just the craziest thing. Peace would come upon me. And then all of a sudden I would get triggered. Like I can't handle no quiet. What's going on? I'm used to chaos all the time and, and yelling and screaming and fighting and, and striving and surviving. So your brain, it just has different ways of reacting to trauma. It does. And when you've had years and years of trauma, since I was a tiny little girl, because complex trauma starts usually when you're younger, but not always, but it, it, it's a place where you're in a dangerous, there's a difference between PTSD and complex trauma. Complex trauma is repetitive. Yes. It is an attack on our identity and we always feel like we're in danger. So it, it's literally something an abused child will, will experience because they can't escape their parents. They can't escape their foster parents, whatever it is, or the situation that they're in. So they're always feeling like they're in danger and they're on the edge of, you know, being beat, hurt, you know, ridiculed, you know, anything that would hurt their heart and their, their psyche and just their, their physical body. It's like you live in fear and then, and then you just adjust and now you're just this on the edge all the time, but it's normal. So your cortisol levels go way up, like they hit the roof. And then all of a sudden you're just like, this is normal now. And let's just pause here for a second, because what you said about trauma is really important. When a person experiences any type of trauma, whether it's sexual, physical, a car accident, the brain tries very hard to protect itself from pain or discomfort. So in order to do so, like you said, we learn to adjust. And in the therapy world, we call that defense mechanisms. And with those defense mechanisms, we learn how to adapt or adjust to the trauma in order for us to survive. We do that by denying it. We do that by suppressing. We do that by projecting. So when you talk about how a person have to adjust and things become normal, you're absolutely right. They do become normal. And the other thing I heard you say is that you yourself experienced childhood trauma. Can you speak a little more to that? My first insult started when I was a very little girl by my father. I mean, I'll never forget this. He, he would call us dummies and stupid. And I don't want to put my dad under the bus, but he was just so negative. And he was abused himself. And I didn't realize it at the time, obviously. 
but my daddy was really manipulative and he was a gaslighter and he, he was really, really troubled himself. He abused my mother in front of us kids. It was really sad. We would, we would see him hit her, slap her. She would bleed and, you know, he would call her stupid be in front of us kids. And it's like, when a child sees that and lives in that atmosphere, it is really toxic it is. to your soul and your mind. And I was just like, man, I always felt like I was never good enough. Like I was so nervous around my dad. I always thought that if I just didn't, if I wasn't perfect, then he would hit me or scream. And my dad did, did hit me, but not as much as my brothers. Okay. Okay. My brothers would get hit by him way more than I would. But my dad was such a control freak. He controlled everything about our home, everything we did, who we talked to. You know, I rebelled. Okay. When I was a teenager, girl, I was like, huh. I had Michael Jackson posters on my wall, Prince. I was like in love with Michael Jackson and Prince. I, I, I don't know what, if I had a choice who I would have been with at the time. But I remember my dad coming into my room and telling me to take my posters down. And I immediately thought, he's prejudiced. You know, like, what the heck? My dad's a racist. Yay. <laughs> and so I had to deal with that growing up, like, without him saying it, mm -hmm. just the way his, he acted, like he just like was a certain way. And so my family rebelled and it was, wasn't just me, but I was like the black sheep of the family, they call it, right? The one that gets away and just takes off and does what it wants. So I don't even like that term, by the way, because I'm like thinking to myself, wait a second, why do they call sheep black? Like, what's up with that? Does that mean I'm dirty? Like, that's not right, right? because so, they're I love black sheep they're they're really pretty just just to say <laughs> so I ended up like seriously like searching out men that my dad wouldn't necessarily approve of okay <laughs> go figure <laughs> yeah and I just got into this place where I was like I'm gonna date a musician yeah he's gonna be a man of color yeah that's what it, you know because I did, like I said, like I was all into that. And I actually did get in the studio. I did background vocals when I was a teenager. I was around the Prince crowd. I had a lot of friends that were working with Prince. Okay. I'm from Minneapolis. So, hey, you know, Prince was like the hot topic girl. Like he, I remember seeing Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis. I met them actually at a rib joint called Tony Roma's. Wow. <laughs> and Dude, and, and Jelly Bean, all those guys, they're super sweet. Oh my God, the nicest people you ever want to meet. Like very happy, joyous, all that. Going to the nightclubs uptown, Prince was there. And just like everybody was so embracing, you know? And I, I was just like, oh my gosh, this is like the life I want to live. I want to I be a musician. I want to sing. I want to be with these people. I want to play guitar. So I ended up actually because my my greed and my my love for being around that whole nightclub scene and trying to be in the music business was really driven I got three jobs I was 18 and I I had a fake ID and I ended up you know meeting these guys and like I'm thinking I need money to get in the studio to because I I've written some songs and I wanted to lay them down on some tracks and I was like I need money to do this and and so I ended up I wanted to go to college too. I wanted to go to music college. I wanted to learn how to do things the right way and art school. And so I got my three jobs and just started grinding, girl. I was just like, if I wasn't at work, I was sleeping or I was at the nightclub. It sounds like you had a plan. I mean, you were grinding. You had three jobs. You were trying to birth a career as a musician. Do you feel like 
being a part of the nightlife scene put you at a greater risk for entering into the sex industry? I believe that I probably would have been, I would have done something, but I just could not stick to it because this is what would derailed me. We met these guys at a nightclub one night and we didn't know what they were traffickers. Okay. They were, they were very well dressed. They had like Rolex watches and one, I mean, both of them were wearing shades in like 11 o'clock at night. Like I thought, oh, these guys are cool. <laughs> and that was kind of a trend back then. I remember George Michael mm-hmm. wearing shades when he did his videos and a couple other artists that, you know, they would wear their shades and uh, like Cool Moldy. And I was like, these guys are cool. So we started talking to them. They bought us drinks and my girlfriend starts dating one of the guys. And I literally heard over the next couple of weeks, oh my gosh, he bought me a diamond ring. Oh my gosh, he gave me the keys to his drop top fans. Wow. It's dipped in gold and it's pearl white. And I was like, ooh, I want to ride in that car. Yeah. Girl, I was so fascinated by these guys and they were not in the music industry at all. Okay. You know, so that wasn't the con. They were like, they told us they were real estate guys and that they, they bought and sold cars. We were like, oh my gosh, these guys have money. And so my girlfriend goes to Hawaii with one of the guys. And I mean, she literally is like, I'm I'm in love with him. He's in love with me. We're going to get married. And she's like, come out to Hawaii. I'm making so much money right now. Annie. I am making so much money. Okay. You're going to trip. You're going to trip. And I was like, oh my gosh. So I flew out there. And of course, the first night that I worked, I I sold myself with her. Okay. And it, it, it wasn't like she was trying to force me or her boyfriend at the time, which was a trafficker, was trying to force me. It was something I was so fascinated with. I was like, these guys are dumb and we didn't have to have sex. So I was like, this is so easy. I can literally get the money, take my clothes off and then run out of the room. Right. But you know, as well as I do, like with sex trafficking, prostitution, all that mixed together, when a person is buying another human being, they expect something. Yeah, they do. Not just the clothes off. So if you don't do what they want, you will get in big trouble. And I'm talking about physical. You might get choked out. You might get slapped. You might get pushed to the ground, whatever it is, raped. And so you can't keep doing that, running out of the room. Right. Now, I know some of my friends used to do that. And I had a friend actually that did that a lot, like half of her calls. She, and that's a, it's called a call that you go on. Okay. And so it's like, you can't really get away with that too long. I came back to, to Minnesota after a couple of weeks because my vacation, my vacation was up at my job and I worked for IDS Financial, which is Investors Diversified Services. And I quit my job, started working escort services. And then I almost got killed twice. And I decided this is not the scene right here. Okay. I don't, I don't want to die. I had a guy pull a machete on me, but then I had another guy pull a shotgun. I was like, Oh my gosh, this is, I'm done with this. And I started looking in the yellow pages and I remember looking in there going, okay, I can't work the escort services. Maybe I can become a dancer. Okay. And one of my friends brought the Bible to me and said, Annie, you're in sin. And I was like, shut up. (laughs) I don't want to hear that. He was like, you you really, really shouldn't be doing this. And, uh, right there, it says, you know, you're, you're in sin. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh my gosh. And so I thought, well, if I just take my clothes off, if I just like strip, that's not like sin. Like, but you know, as well as I do, that was just a big compromise girl. I was like, yeah. no, yeah. I'm going to just do this. And I was working at Skyway Lounge, which is like 
overhead, like they're like these little places that you walk on the second floor across the street during the winter in downtown Minneapolis. And all you had to do was take the stairs down and then the club was right there. And a lot of men, businessmen would come and they would spend a little bit of money. Okay. You'd sit with them, have a drink after. And this guy walks in and he was, you know, he had a ponytail in and he had long hair and he was really handsome and he was wearing a suit. And I was just totally mesmerized by him. And he had gold on and diamonds. And I was like, yeah, this is the man for me. Okay. And I started dating him and guess what? What? He was a trafficker and I didn't even know it, but he told me a story about his mother and his dad leaving when he was five and he, him being on the street you know, at 12 and 13 years old, learning how to shoot craps and, you know, learning how to deal drugs. And I found that out later. And I was like, this guy needs a break. Right. I was like, you, you can't deal drugs. I'm going to help you. Okay. You know what I do for a living? And he was like, well, obviously you're a dancer. And I'm like, oh no, honey, (laughs) listen, men are tricks. Men are marks. I'm about to get the money. He was like, ah, like your attitude. He's like, you're right. And I was just like, I was like, I found my partner. Like, yeah, let's yeah. go, <laughs> dude. And it was like, I literally thought like I could control the money, that I was the boss, mm-hmm. that he would he would respect me. Now, first of all, I don't think people respect each other for selling themselves necessarily when they're in a consensual sexual relationship. Like, it just doesn't make any sense unless they don't really care about you like you want to be cared about. It might be because you make the money and you look really cute and you turn them on, but there's the deep love that is supposed to happen between two consensual adults. That exchange can't really happen if one person is swinging or being sold. True. So I never knew he had other women. Like I was naive to that fact. And I was like, and I can't stand pimps and I wish a pimp would. And I got all sassy with it, (laughs) you know, and I had just been introduced to two short. So I was like, that song fight the feeling is my song. I'm going to tell that man off. Okay. I'm the girl in that song rapping to that dude, trying to, trying to turn her out and trying to get her, you know, and I just, girl, I was all about like rebellion. Okay. Okay. I see you getting all sassy with it. You're right. No one wants to have a pimp. No one wants to be controlled. So I can understand why you rebelled. But what changed, Annie? When I came to Las Vegas, because my girlfriend that was in Hawaii, her trafficker had a house in Vegas too. So I flew here with my boyfriend because my girlfriend told me, Money in Vegas is bomb. Like, got it. So I, I was like, girl, I'm going to make this money. And that first night that I made some money, I came to their house and he was waiting there watching television. And I stepped in and I, I was like, I made money. And my name back then was Fallon because I picked a name for dancing and Fallon York was my name. Okay. So he knew me as Fallon, not Annie. And he told me to break myself. And I was like, totally like against like a giant break. What? Give me everything you got on you. Break yourself. So I was like, no, what? You're not my pimp. Are you what? Like he started choking me out and hitting my head on the cabinets in the kitchen. And, you know, maybe he thought at the time I was a modern day Karen or something that is today because I was like being all sassy. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, he brought me to the back and just started yelling at me, you know, calling me a bee and 
you're a, you're an F and B and you're my B and you're going to hoe up for me. And this is pimp and B. And I was just shocked. And I think I was, I think the words he said to me hurt me even more than him hitting me and choking me. I, I was so shocked that he would tell me that now he was my boss. Right. But you know, I totally bowed and then he apologized to me and said that he wouldn't do it again if I stayed in line. It's called being in pocket. So I believed him. Okay. Eventually a couple months down the line, he beat me again. And then, you know, six months after that beat me again. And so there was, I couldn't count how many times, but every time I got out of the line, it was a, a new beat down. And it seemed like it was getting worse. Like every time he did it, I got worse. Like I would get beat just a little bit harder. I remember one time I was going up to Minnesota. I drove our, my brand new car up there and the insurance lapsed like 24 hours prior. Okay. And my girlfriend drove the car and she flipped it and totaled it. Wow. On the 70 freeway. And I got back to Minnesota to visit with my family that summer. And he beat the living crap out of me. Oh my gosh. That was the worst time. I couldn't go see my family because he hid me at his sister's house and she fed me and took care of me. And she was just like crying going, I know he's my brother, but you got to get out of there. Yeah. She wasn't down with the trafficking girl. She was like my advocate. So. At what point did that free will turn into captivity? I believe even though uh, that night would be a defining moment when he beat me down in Las Vegas for the very first time. I think that the sex industry has these like invisible claws and grips on your soul. And, and, and it, and it just starts to to draw you in because once you make that kind of money, you start buying things, you start living a different lifestyle. Right. And in order for you to keep that lifestyle, even if you don't have a trafficker now, I want everyone to hear me right now out there that's listening. I don't care if you are in it and you don't have a trafficker, you eventually will. Sometimes your trafficker is society or your lifestyle. Okay. You're succumbing because you want to keep up that you keep up with the Joneses, so to speak. Right. And even though that physical force happened in Las Vegas, you know, for me, that's when I think I kind of woke up and realized, oh boy, I got myself into a doozy. Wow. Words cannot describe what your life has been. How did you heal from that? What was your healing process like? It's funny to say this, but my full surrender, because I was raised as a Christian, like I remember accepting Jesus when I was a real tiny little girl. I had a glow in the dark cross. I went to Bible school, like uh, Sunday, like Bible school, like, you know, during the summer, they have those Bible school camps Girl, mm-hmm. I was all about that. I loved it because I felt so loved by the Bible Sunday school teachers. And um, I think that was my first introduction to the love of Jesus, but um, I didn't really really get that true freedom until that day that I literally almost like by my own torture to myself, my drug addicted state, I had PTSD so bad that I started to numb out my pain with drugs. And it made, when I did drugs or specifically narcotics, opiates, it made me feel normal. Okay. Now I didn't know it at the time, but I'm allergic. I'm allergic to opiates, girl. I'm just like, what? I had no idea. It would make me itch, but it would make me feel real energetic. And I would just be like, oh, I can clean now. I, I'm happy. I, I felt happy. 
And so when I overdosed, it was August 2nd, 2003. That was a day like that was an epiphany with me and Jesus. Like it was like this time where I had been praying years prior. Okay. I read the New Testament like four years prior to that overdose for the first time in my life, the whole book when I was in Italy. And I literally got rocked by God, the words that Jesus has said, especially in John 17, we're all supposed to be unified and get along, you know, love each other. Mm -hmm. I love John 17 because it's Jesus's directive to the body and to people that are, are giving and showing his love. Right. Right. And so that, that rocked me, but that day on August 2nd, 2003, I had already prayed, God, please help me get out of this industry. And I literally overdosed, cried out to God. And I went to the hospital, had a heart attack. And I, that was like a click. It clicked in my heart. Like, this is it. We're going to do it now. You're going to never go back. When you feel and know something in your spirit and you know, God just did something like it's so real. I can't explain it. Like it, it is. It was like, it was like, okay, wait, this is a good one. He, I like this. I think this is my book, but it's like, I was Dorothy in the black and white world, escaping that wicked witch or trying to because she came back in the color world too because we all know our past kind of tries to find us Woo-hoo. it does but i opened up that door after that tornado and i said what is this land that i'm in right <laughs> it's colorful i can finally see right right and oh, man that was awesome and i was like i'll never go back never get on opiates again it was a journey like it was not an overnight thing it wasn't like oh well now I'm all healed. Girl, no healing. I'm still walking out. Recovery is a process. Now in the spirit, I am whole, sanctified and set free. Okay. And I have to keep reminding myself that when I start, when our, when our old grave clothes start pulling back, our past start to pull us back yes. into the mindset. And, and I would even say like Wizard of Oz, when Dorothy, she still did not escape that that lady on the bike because that lady came in another form she came in as the ruler of that land that looks so beautiful now it does say in the bible that the principalities and powers of satan they're here right now yeah it's like i had to realize that there's an enemy out there and i need to be ready to fight it okay annie you're definitely definitely right and what positive advice do you have for listeners out there who may be facing similar situations that you should never give up. There is hope for you. Even though it looks like the darkest day and the and you're in the death valley, you know, God is with you, just like it says in Psalm 23. He is with you and he will carry you in that valley. And the light is going to come. Just trust and believe, pray, and then God's going to send you the right people because he did it for me. And if he can do it for me, he can do it for you. Reach out. And in fact, our social media and the way to get a hold of us if you need help is you just dial a number at 702-883-5155 and we will connect you with the right resources in whatever state you're in whatever country you're in we have connections everywhere with anti-trafficking organizations and safe houses we will get you into the right space to get safe from that bad situation and if you want to find us on social media it's hookers for jesus and then also Annie Lobert, A-N-N-I-E-L-O-B-E-R-T on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, 
And also, which is we have a TV show and podcast, Pink Chair and Annie's Pink Chair. Look us up. We would love to connect with you and work with you and help you in whatever endeavor you're looking to do. Well, thank you so much, listeners. You have it. You heard it directly from Annie's voice herself. She is an awesome woman, a survivor, a healer, and she loves, loves, loves to help other people. So thank you so much, Andy, for being a part of Elevated Voices podcast. You're so welcome. Thank you for tuning in to Elevated Voices podcast, where we enjoy using our voice to share information which promotes growth and change. Never feel like you are alone. Join our Elevated Voices podcast community at Elevated Voices underscore on both Instagram and Twitter. Stay tuned to bi-weekly episodes wherever you get your podcast. If there is a topic that you would like me to cover, or if you have questions, you can send me an email via my Elevated Voices podcast Facebook page. And remember, don't forget to let your voice be heard.